Today, we're in part three of our series, Guardians of the Family. And so far in this series, in week one, we, we talked about the fact that the biblical family unit is under attack in our society. Uh, and they're doing everything they can to break down this foundational building block uh, of, of really our, our, our whole national culture. You know, the family unit established in the Garden of Eden by God, uh, you know, a husband, a wife, and their children, their adopted children, is being called into question every day in our society. And so if you missed part one of this series, I encourage you to go back, catch it online, and uh, you'll, 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 you'll see what we had to say about that. Last week, we talked about the different generations uh, that we now <clears throat> face, and, and uh, you know, there are now six generations in the church, and this has never really happened before where we have that many generations just because life cycles and lifespans have gone uh, longer, uh, but now six generations, and we're talking about Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Those are the youngest kids, so, you know, zero up through uh, basically 26 years old, and we spent a considerable time uh, last week talking about their beliefs and their values and the things that are driving their behaviors, and it's important to understand who they are, what they believe, and why they believe what they believe. Uh, these generations, they're the first uh, digital uh, natives. Uh, uh, they're also the first generation that's grown up in a post-Christian or a post-Christian country. Uh, not only that, I believe America's actually kind of become an anti-Christian uh, environment. So it's, these are difficult days for these young generations, and the days of Leave it to Beaver and Andy Griffith are over, right? And uh, so... I want to talk to you today about the world as you see it and how important it is that we have a biblical worldview. And so we're going to be in the book of Jude, small book, only one chapter long, right before the book of Revelation, right there at the end. We're going to be in Jude, um, chapter 1, verse 17. It says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times which we're in the last times. Last times go from the day of Pentecost until the Lord returns again at the second coming. We are in that period. It says, in the last times, there'll be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. We're living in those times. Jude was written by uh, the, the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of James, but the half-brother uh, to Jesus. And, uh, you know, he, he talks about what it's going to be like in the last days, you know, and, and we, I think we can all even agree and see the fact that the ungodly desires of the scoffers are, are, is happening right now. We are experiencing the divisiveness of people who are ruled not by God's word, not by the spirit of God, but their natural instincts. They're rejecting authority. It's, it's similar to what it was in the Old Testament times when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They, they do whatever they want to do, whatever feels good to them. That's what they do. <clears throat> Jude wrote to warn about these false teachers that were coming in the last days. People that were going to have a, you know, a form of godliness, you know, but, but, but not really. They're, they're, they're going to present part of the gospel, but not all of the gospel. They're going to twist it. They're going to manipulate it. They're going to make it something different than what it was that Jesus taught when Jesus was on earth. It's going to be a false gospel. They're going to pervert the grace of God and add works and add all kinds of different things to it. And essentially, uh, because of God's grace, they're going to treat the grace of God as a license to sin. Say, oh, well, you know, I'm a Christian, and I, because of the grace of God, I can just live any way I want. I can do whatever I want. And Jude's writing here and saying, yeah, don't fall into that mess. 
He gave clear instructions of what we should do when this happens. So let's pick it up again. Now we're going to go to verse 3. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, we desire to hear from you. Uh, Lord, uh, I pray that uh, as your word is preached, God, as we read the word of God, uh, Father, that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts and open our eyes and our ears to the truth that you'd have us to receive. Uh, God, I believe that there's something in this message for everyone this morning. Lord, may I fade into the background, and God, may you just take over our time together today. Uh, God, just show us what you'd have us to know. Uh, help us, Lord, to know what to do in light of what we learned this, this day. And uh, Father, we just dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, here in the letter that Jude wrote, he felt compelled to write to his friends and to you know, basically the Jewish uh, Christians in the uh, New Testament time there in Jerusalem. And he's basically saying that, I mean, listen, you need to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. You need to fight for this faith. Contend for it. What does that mean? What does it mean to contend for the faith? I want to start by just kind of unpacking what is the faith here uh, that he's talking about. I think the faith here is the basic message of the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is the savior of the world, that salvation is by grace through faith. These are the, these are the core and essential elements of the gospel message. He said, we need to contend for that. There are going to be people that are going to come in and they're going to seek to twist it. They're going to seek to add things to it. We need to be careful that we contend for the faith that was delivered by Jesus to the apostles so that we can carry this out throughout the ends of the earth and it doesn't get lost. So what does it mean to contend for this faith? The word contend here or contend earnestly describes an athlete who is really striving to put forth all their effort, all their intensity to secure a victory. You've, you've heard people after a big game say they left it all on the field, right? They, they put all of their energy and all of their effort into winning this game, this, this battle. When he says the word to contend for the faith, I think that's what he's saying. He's saying we need to fight. We need to earnestly go out. We need to put it all on the line, leave it all on the field to get the gospel message out so that everybody can hear the truth. Amen? Amen. So basically he's saying we need to fight against the evil forces that are at work to destroy, to distort, and to discredit the gospel. You and I, we need to be contenders in the fight as we defend the truth of Jesus Christ in the midst of a nation of ungodly people who really seek to undermine God, his purpose, his plan, uh, and his word. This September, we're going to be hosting an apologetics conference here at the church. Uh, we'll bring in some special speakers. It'll be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll do a Friday night deal, uh, and then we're going to have something especially for the teenagers, uh, and then we're going to have... Uh, 
uh, something Saturday night, I think a dinner on Saturday night, and then both Sunday morning, and I think we may be doing something Sunday night too. So it's going to be a packed weekend where we're going to be talking all about apologetics and how to defend your faith, how to have answers to the questions that people are bringing up today. And, uh, you know, so today I'm just kind of introducing this idea that we need to be contending for the faith. We're going to unpack a little bit here what Jude was talking about so that we can make sure that uh, we pass on our faith to the next generation. Uh, I talked about that last week, but it's so important. And, and part of that, what we need to do is we need to build into these next generations a biblical worldview. Parents and grandparents, we need to work together to frame in, in, in these kids' minds a biblical worldview. What is a biblical worldview? Well, a worldview is just basically how, how you see the world, your overall view of the world. It's, it's that set of basic beliefs, of values, of assumptions that, that ultimately drive your actions and drive your behaviors. You do what you do because of your worldview, how you see the world, how you understand life, how, how things make sense in your mind. It drives your actions and behaviors. It's kind of the mental framework and beliefs that guide all of your understanding of what is. It's how you see everything and how you put the pieces of the puzzle together. It's the assumptions that we have to try and make sense of this world. It's, it's the way that we filter everything that we see. Your worldview uh, influences your relationships. It influences your habits. It influences your politics, how you vote, what you believe. It, it, it's your values and beliefs about social issues, about the environment. Quite frankly, it affects everything that you do. Essentially, it's, it's the lens through which you see the world. Many of you, as I look out, I see you wear glasses. I wear glasses. Uh, our glasses help us to see things clearly. Without my glasses, I, I couldn't read. I couldn't drive. I couldn't even get the chip into the salsa bowl. So would there even be joy in life? I don't know, you know? In the same way, our core beliefs, our worldview, establishes the lens through which we see the world. So consider this. You know, some of the things that, that shape your worldview is, does God exist? You have an answer in your mind to that question. Does God exist? Is he a person or a force? In your mind, you have, you have an answer to that question. What is the origin of the universe? Was it formed by intelligent design or an accidental bang? You have an answer to that question. Our human existence, where did we come from? And what are we? What's the purpose of life? Do we exist for a reason or are we here by chance? Who or what determines right or wrong? Is it God's law or man's choice? What happens after death? Is there a heaven and hell or do we just go out of existence? You see, the way that you answer those questions, they, they, they are the things that form your worldview and how you see the world. So think of this. If you believe there is no God, 
and that our world is the result of an accidental bang, and that man evolved from a single cell over billions of years, and that we're here by chance, and the right and wrong are determined by society, and that you simply go out of existence when you die. If that's what you believe, then your beliefs and your worldview are going to be absolutely different than somebody who holds a biblical worldview, right? You'll see things completely different than somebody who believes the way I just said it there. So we need to understand that. There are people in the world who just see things differently than we do based upon their core beliefs and their values. So that's why it's important that we do what Jude said. Verse three, he said, he felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's people. We must pass on our faith to the next generation or they will be deceived. Verse four says they're going to be deceived by ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord, right? There are other people and other forces at play in the world that are seeking to affect the worldview of our kids and our grandkids, right? They're trying to form a belief system in these kids because if they can, at an early age, teach these kids to believe that they just came out of the ocean and were accidentally mutated and things just happened and here we are billions of years later and in and, and just random chance and here you are and so is the world. If we can get them to believe that, we can, we can affect every other decision they make. That's why it's so important that we give them the truth, that we teach them what the word of God says about our origin, where we came from, and that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? We need to teach that to our kids. So parents, I'm gonna to talk to you here this morning. I want you, and grandparents, you're part of this as well, parents and grandparents, I want you to think of your child's heart as a bank, okay? Just envision a piggy bank right in here. And when they're born, it's essentially empty. And your responsibility as a parent is to make moral deposits into their bank so that they have something to draw on throughout their life. It's your responsibility to put those morals, those values, those biblical truths into that bank so that they have a biblical worldview. And it's a lot of work. Listen, I've raised four kids, have five grandkids. This isn't easy. It's hard and exhausting. When you correct your child, tell them, don't do this. And they say, why? Well, what's the easiest answer as a parent to say, right? Come on, do you tell me. You know what it is. <laughs> because I said so. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I thought it was just me that said that. <laughs> when we give them that answer, because I said so, we're missing an opportunity to, to make a moral deposit in their bank, Right? However, if you give them the moral reason why you don't do this, you know, or you don't do that, or we do do this, don't hit your brother. Why? Because I said so. Hmm. Don't hit your brother. Why? Because the Bible says that you're to love your brother and to do good for him. Now you've just switched from telling them no to giving, giving them the moral reason why. The Bible says that 
parent, the children are to obey their parents in the Lord, right? Tell them the why. Your kid wants to steal something from the store. You find out that your child you know, took a piece of gum or a piece of candy from the store, and you get home and say, where did you get that? And they say, well, I, you know, I, I, took it from the, I took it from the store. You could say, well, don't do that again. Why? Because I said so. Okay, wrong answer. Right answer is what? If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat, right? And so you need to earn, through work, money so that you can buy. And the Bible also says, thou shalt not steal. It's an opportunity for you to pour into your life, into their hearts, into their little banks, these morals and these values that they will draw on for the rest of their lives. Because here's what's happened. When your, when your answer is typically, because I said so, then here's what happens. When you're not there... So when the kids are at school and you're at home, they don't have to do it because you're not there to say so, right? So as long as you're not there, they can do whatever they want. Whereas if you've taught them the moral reason why, they'll, they'll begin to learn the fact that, hey, these things are true whether mom and dad are there or not. Now, I'll tell you, it's a lot more work to, 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 to teach the kids the moral reason why. It's more work on the front end and a lot less work on the back end. It's much easier to teach them when they're young and to build these truths in their life than it is to fix the messes that come from the fact that they don't know right from wrong. Amen? Amen. Every decision that you and I make is based upon our worldview. It affects everything we do. How do you respond in traffic when somebody's driving slowly in the left-hand lane? Somebody need to repent right now. How do you treat the uh, fast food person when they get your order wrong? I've seen videos of people just going over the counter and pulling a big old brawl happening right there at the fast food counter. How we respond to big things, terrorist attacks, political turmoil, our response to natural disasters. Other people, their worldview is shaken and they think everything's coming apart. And, but those with Christians, we know the fact, hey, listen, God's in control. Jesus is coming back. We need to spread the gospel. So Christians don't just rely on a biblical worldview only when major events happen. It informs us about how we prioritize our time, how we invest our resources, how we respond to leadership how we raise our children, how we respond to hurtful words and comments. God's word is a guide for all of life. So that's why Jude says we need to make sure that we contend earnestly to pass on our faith to the next generation. We must do that. I believe that the biblical worldview is important because it's the only true worldview. If we reject God's word, we'll fail to see the world as it really is. Going back to my illustration, the fact that our worldview is like a pair of glasses. If our glasses are broken, if they are tinted a different color, if they're the wrong prescription, we won't see the world correctly. And a biblical worldview shows you the world as God intended. Now, we wish we could see things perfectly, but, but we all are sinners, right? And sometimes our own sin distorts the way we see things. But when we get into the word of God, the word of God corrects our vision and helps us see things the way God wants us to see them. So let me talk to 
again, parents with small children here for just a moment, your investment in your children is critical for forming a biblical worldview in their lives. I cannot emphasize enough the significance of being intentional in teaching your children. This is not something that you can outsource to someone else. Listen, we as a church, we will do everything we can to walk with you, to stand behind you, to reinforce what you're saying at home, to, to help kids memorize the word of God, to know the word. We'll do everything we can to help you. But in two or three hours a week, we cannot do what you can do when you're with them so many hours a week. It, it, you need to do it. And moms and dads, I'm going to give you some practical things. I'm just being very practical here in how we can do this today. Begin at an early age. Find age-appropriate resources to deal with the issues that your kids are facing. Um, you know, there are a lot of good resources out there. Get them. Sit there. Read some books with them. Listen, I know the easy thing to do when you're exhausted when you're at the end of the day, you've fed the kids and you're just about fed up with the kids, you know what I'm saying? And the easy thing is just to plug in something on TV and tell them to watch that for a while, right? And before long, we're not reading books to them. We're not spending the time with them. Listen, make sure that you're reading books. Make sure you're reading books that have some scripture in them so that these kids are getting the word of God into their hearts as well. And then parents, you need to set a godly example in front of your kids, and you need to own the fact when you mess up, when you blow it. You know, your kids are there in the back seat when you lose it with that, you know, whether it's the fast food person or the slow driver in the left lane and they see you do something that you really shouldn't do. You need to own it and say, you know what, I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't the right way. Jesus would not have been happy with that. That's not the way a Christian should have dealt with that. And, uh, Man, I blew it. You know, don't, you know, I'm sorry about that. Don't, don't, don't follow my example now. That's not something you want to do. So be willing to own it when you blow it. Uh, but realize the fact that you are always teaching. Always teaching. Listen, if you sit there at night and your, your nose is buried in your phone the whole time the kids are running around and you've just got your nose in your phone, you're teaching your kids that that's what you do. You just sit there with your nose in your phone. We need to get out of that. We need to break that. Kids, I've already said that. I mean, the kids are, are watching their phones hours and hours and hours a day. We need to stop that. Third thing I want to encourage young families to do is find a community. Get together with other like-minded believers that reinforce the same biblical worldview that you have. Um, hang out together. I'm going to talk more about that in just a few moments. <clears throat> Because here's what's going to happen. They're, they're going to be one or two years old this day, and you're going to turn around, and they're going to be graduating from college the next. And you're going to say, how did that go so quick? Can anybody, can anybody give it an testament to that? Can you say, yep, okay, look around. We all, I mean, what, I mean it was just boom. They, I, you were just in kindergarten. You just graduated from college. How did this happen? It went so fast. Can I tell you what's going to happen when your kid gets to college? Their faith is going to be challenged by professors who are really good at making Christianity sound foolish. And they are going to work to undo everything that you and the church have done together over the previous 18 years. They're going to try and unwind it and undo it in just a few semesters. 
Let me, I'm going to read to you what Robert Reich, he was a former Harvard professor and he was also the former U.S. Secretary of Labor. This is what he said, and I, I'm quoting here. The greatest conflict of the 21st century will be between modern civilization and anti-modernist. Between those who believe in the primacy of the individual and those who believe that human beings owe their allegiance and identity to a higher authority. Between those who believe in science and reason and logic and those who believe that truth is revealed through scripture and religious dogma. So I don't know if you heard what he just said, but basically what he just said about me is that I'm an anti-modernist. In other words, I'm stuck in the dark ages because I've not yet been enlightened and that I am someone who doesn't believe in science and I don't embrace reason and I'm, I don't use logic. That's basically what he said there because I believe the truth is revealed through scripture. And so he just kind of makes us look unintelligent. But we need to understand that Mr. Reich just has a, a naturalistic worldview. He sees the world completely different than I see the world. We just do. Naturalists love to throw around these, these buzzwords, reason, science, and evidence, as if they're the only ones who can use reason, science, and evidence. They make it sound like they're the ones who own reason, science, and evidence, and where we, on the other hand, are uneducated, gullible, and brainwashed, Right? That's the way they paint the picture. Their assumptions are that there's no intellectually valid reason for a person to have a religious worldview in the modern age. In their minds, we're simply putting our faith in a supernatural fairy tale, right? Have you heard that? I guarantee you when they get to college, they're going to be told that God is a sky fairy and that this is all just, you're, oh, you're just believing in an adult fairy tale. That's what they're going to hear. And if our kids don't have answers to their questions, it's going to cause them to scratch their head. They're going to say, hmm, I never thought about that. Well, nobody ever told me that. Well, that makes sense. Well, I certainly want to operate with reason and logic. I certainly want to believe in science. We need to teach our kids that there is objective evidence for God's existence in the natural world. Theologians, theologians talk about the general revelation of God. You know, God's word tells us that we can see evidence for God in nature. Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Declare, proclaim, pour forth, reveal. God's word tells us, and we can see it even in nature, that God exists. All you have to do is look up and see the fact that this wasn't just a random chance from an explosion. God designed it all. And God also gave us special revelation. He gave us his word, the written word of God. Jesus Christ came and did miracles and proved the fact he was God, even predicting his own death and then rising from the dead. He proved it. Hundreds of people were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He proved that he was God. So friends, you do not have to check your brains at the door to be a Christian. But I'll tell you what, the naturalists, the evolutionists, the atheists, they're going to paint us out to be ignorant. So it's important that we teach, that we train, that we equip our students to know how to defend their faith, to know what they believe and why they believe it. 
because when they get out into the real world, whether it's college or trade school or just out into the work world, their core assumptions are going to be challenged by people who have different worldviews than theirs, and they need to know how to defend their faith, or they're going to end up confused and, and really struggle. Because here's what I know, if we fail to equip young Christians with a biblical worldview, they will unconsciously absorb the ideas of today's culture. They'll just, with no effort on their own, begin to absorb what culture teaches. Paul warned about this in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse two. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen, it's easy to conform. It's easy to just simply absorb the secular worldview of society because it's everywhere, it surrounds us, it's, it's through the news, it's through every form of media, whether it's in songs or it's written in, the, written in something we read or we see it on the news or we hear it in the Word. It's, they're just surrounded by all of this and it's easy to just begin to absorb it. And Paul said, listen, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't buy into what the world says. For a couple of months now, I've got a stack of books. I've been studying Gen Z and Gen Alpha, trying to understand these, these next generations because I believe it is, the, it is the church's number one priority to reach young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must do it. If we fail to reach these Gen, Gen Alpha and Gen Z, we might as well just start turning our buildings into museums because that's what they're going to be. What do we know about Gen Z already? 33% believe gender is how a person feels, not their birth sex. One in three. 49% believe happiness is defined by financial success. 34% believe lying is morally wrong, which means 66% believe that lying is okay. 58% believe many religions can lead to eternal life and that there is no one true religion. 58% basically believe that there are many ways to heaven. Moms, dads, church, we need to help young people live and see the world like Jesus. We need to equip, equip them with a biblical understanding of reality. We need to help them develop spiritual practices that will ingrain those beliefs into their lives and into their character. So moms and dads, we want to help you develop a biblical worldview in your child's life. We'll do what we can to help you, but you must accept it. Our next-gen ministry team stands ready to walk with you on this journey. Our kids' men classes will reinforce what you're teaching at home. Pastor Sean and Aubrey and our student ministry leaders, they're all working with our student ministry and our young adults to ask and answer the tough questions. We work to create safe places where your kids can ask those tough questions. We're here to support and encourage you and to help you in this endeavor. But at the end of the day, you must accept the primary responsibility for building a biblical worldview in the life of your kids. And grandparents, you need to come right alongside these kids' parents and reinforce 
these truths. Because there are a lot of competing worldviews out there today that are going after your children. Naturalism, pantheism, individualism, hedonism, consumerism. I could probably go on with about 40 more of them. We need to accept responsibility for this. We must act now. So I'm going to give you some very practical suggestions here. Number one, especially moms and dads, make the most of teachable moments. You're never going to know when that conversation on the couch is going to turn deep. Don't rush through it. Oh, but we were going to watch a show. We were going to play a game. Listen, when that conversation starts and you recognize the fact that, you know what, we're, we're, we're going deep here with it, the, then cancel everything else and go deep with the kids, even though you may be tired. Ask probing questions. Say, well, what if I don't know the answer? Then say, that's a great question. You know what? I'm going to research that and let's, I'll, let's talk about that tomorrow. And go figure it out, right? Be willing to share a story from your personal life when you struggled with the same question, when you dealt with the same issue, when you had the same challenges. If they're being bullied at school, be willing to tell them, yeah, I know what it's like to be bullied. I was bullied too, and here's what I learned. Peter said this, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone, and that includes your kids. Who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have? But do this with gentleness and respect. Make sure that you're allowing time to sit in the couch or in the edge of the bed at night to ask and answer those tough questions. I can't say enough how important having a family meal time together is. And, and allow conversations to develop around the meal, meal table. You know, use those times. Use every opportunity. Deuteronomy 6. Every opportunity you have that you can be teaching the kids, teach them. Secondly, make the most of teachable moments. Number two, keep growing in your faith. Don't stop learning. Don't rely on yesterday's meal to provide today's strength. Keep reading the Bible yourself. Make sure that you're spending time in prayer. Memorize the word of God. Take advantage of the growth opportunities that you have. Sign up for connect groups. Be a part of, of a learning environment. Invest real energy in growing your own faith. Yeah, I know you're busy. We're all busy. The whole world's busy. We're all tired. Anybody here not tired? Okay. I told somebody earlier, the world is led by tired people, okay? Just deal with it, you know? We're tired, but we gotta go. We gotta move. We gotta do what needs to be done. So keep growing in your faith. What did Jude say? <clears throat> Back to our text, Jude chapter one, verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. What did Jude say? Listen, you know, Invest in yourself. If you're, going to be, if you're going to be building a biblical worldview in your kids, make sure that you're investing in yourself. Read some books. Study God's word. Memorize God's word. Take classes. Just do it. And number three, spend time with other families who share the same goals. I want to challenge young families to start spending more time together. Young families, you're, you're, you're kind of going through life together and you need that support network. You know what's really encouraging 
When, when you're having a tough time because little Johnny does X, Y, and Z, and you meet with another family, and they said, yeah, my little Billy does the same thing, right? Doesn't it make you feel better that you're not the only one that's having this issue? It, it just kind of feels better. And it's just nice to have other people that you can, you can just kind of share the fact that, hey, I'm kind of struggling here, or this is difficult. Are you, are you facing this? Yeah, I'm facing this too. You get tired of doing your kids' homework? Yeah, I get tired of doing my kids' homework. You know, we all kind of talk about this together. So I, here's, here's what I encourage you to do. Start being intentional about spending time with other families that are at the same age and stage as you are. When Karen and I, we had, we had four kids, still do, uh, four kids. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the three, we had three boys under the age of four. That was fun. Four and under. That was, that was a joy. Uh, and then, then, and then, and then we had Anna. So, you know, we, it was, it was, it was kind of hectic, uh, at, at our house, but can I tell you probably one of the most beneficial things to us, the thing that we just made it work for us is that every single Sunday night, every Sunday night, without exception, we spent time with two or three other families whose kids were about the same age as our kids and we did life together. Their kids almost felt like sons and daughters to us. And our kids all grew up together. They knew each other, they're friends today. We'd get together and what would we do? Like really spiritual stuff? Yeah, we played Rook. We played Euchre. We played Hearts. You know, we grilled hot dogs on the grill. We told the kids to go out in the yard and play, and the adults sat and visited. And the kids had a good time, and the parents had a good time. And it was the way we made it through because we leaned into each other and we did life together. And what I see so many times is people, young families today, <clears throat> aren't spending enough time with other families. So, why is that? <clears throat> well, maybe it's because we feel like our house has to be Instagram ready at all times, right? And oh, I can't have anybody over because, you know, everything isn't just perfect. Can I just tell you, quit worrying about that. If your house isn't dirty, then there's something wrong with you, you know? <laughs> if you have kids, there's gonna be toys, there's gonna be marks, there's gonna be food grounded in the floor and in the cracks of the table, you know? Dishes are gonna be laying out. It's gonna happen. It's okay. It doesn't mean don't have anybody over or don't hang out with other people. Life happens. Proverbs says, where there is no ox, the stable is clean. You know, if you're going to have kids, the house is going to be dirty. Life is life. Don't let that be an excuse for you not to be getting together with other people and doing life together. You need that community. I'm telling you, you need that community. So my challenge, here's your homework. Reach out to another family and invite them over to your house for a chill evening. If you don't know how to play Rook, call me. I'll send you a deck and you can play, okay? Find a card game. Find something that you can do, but have fun. Let the kids play and you get together. You need that community. You need, you need that help because these are tough times as a parent and you need all the support and help you can get. Jude chapter one, verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before him, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. What's Jude saying here? 
So we all need Jesus. We need him. We can't do it on our own. Jesus is the one who will keep us from stumbling. Isn't that encouraging? Look, let's see what it says. It says, one day, one day, Jesus will present us to God, how? Without fault and with great joy. Isn't that exciting to know that one day as, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer, that he's gonna present you before God without fault? That's good news, great joy. Jude just closes his book by giving all glory to Jesus. And that just needs to be the way we live our lives. We give glory to Jesus for all that he's done. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. God, we need you. Young families need your help today. These kids, oh Lord, they, they need you so bad today. Help us as a church. Help us as grandparents. Help us as parents. Help us as a faith community to encourage and support one another in this important task of building a biblical worldview in the lives of our kids. God, they rely upon us, they need us, and God, you, you've told us, you've, you've commanded us, you've instructed us to contend for the faith. So God, help us to do it. God, I pray that your hand of blessing will be upon each family. Uh, God, I pray that you would just uh, give them wisdom at this critical time. Father, we thank you for all you do. Thank you for your love. And uh, God, we just give all the glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen and amen.